Otherwise, the rest of us are going to uh, look at the Word of God together. Um, it's a blessing to be back after a couple of weeks away, a very full time for my wife and I. Uh, we'll share a little bit at our, um, our luncheon and our, our quarterly meeting here in a little while. But today, uh, the sermon uh, topic I have for you is the word through, the word through, T-H-R-O-U-G-H, T-H-R-O-U-G-H, one of those impossible to pronounce words for people who aren't English literate from birth, right? There's just too many silent letters. It's confusing, but it's the word through. It doesn't mean, and I'm going to use it in the sense of the preposition, not in the sense of like we're through. Like, we're done, it's finished, that kind of thing. But more like through, something going through, okay? And a preposition is that uh, little grammar lesson here. I got a little paper towel here. You would, prepositions are things that describe one object or thing related to another. So here's a paper towel holder. It's on the table. Well, now it's, it fell on the table. Now, it's on the table, if you can see that, right? Or it's, uh, if you had a drawer, it would be in the drawer, in the table. Do you see? Or under the table, or above the table, or beside, or in terms of time. This table was made before the paper towel tube, likely, right? <laughs> likely, uh, that kind of thing. You, you, you're following. So through is a very fascinating, uh, in, one of the, in my, my mind, one of the more remarkable things. I think if you took the prepositions out of, out of human existence and certainly out of human language, it would be very difficult to understand or proclaim the gospel or to understand God. Uh, or really to, to do a lot of things in, that require life. And, and certainly the book of Romans would be almost, uh, if not impossible, very difficult to understand without the word through. Without the word through. Through. So I want to talk about this remarkable reality. And, you know, this paper towel holder we've been, I just think about the power of what can happen through something simple. Especially in the hands of a child, right? Uh, I, I love paper towel holders, uh, and I love to pause, at least for a little while, before throwing them away to recycle them, because in the hands of a child, a paper towel holder can become, empty paper towel holder can become something marvelous, right? If they look through it, right? Suddenly, they're like a pirate on the vast seas, right? And they, they see their enemy. Ah, I see you, Dan. You're... <laughs> You know, send the volley dance way or whatever. You know, in the, in the minds of, of a young man especially, I, my boys like me have their active imagination, a vivid imagination. One of my kids, in fact, I was uh, giving them a bath when they were little and I had a little washcloth that I thought it'd be cool to pretend it was like a shark, you know, ah, oh, shark's going after you. And at some point, the little grayish green or whatever color uh, thing became a literal shark in the mind of my child. And I, he leaped, I'm not exaggerating, he leaped from the tub perching on the edge in the back corner with absolute terror on his face thinking an actual shark was in his tub. I'm that good at pretending. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> we get carried away, don't we? Right? We get carried away. I, I am telling you this morning that what you might have seen as you drove in, or maybe you've seen it before, that billboard that we had paid at some expense that says from Jesus, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We're not pretending anymore. We're not, this is not make-believe. 
what the word of God can do when Jesus draws near someone. We're not pretending anymore. What happens when God works through someone or something? It's very impressive what God can do, actually. Very, very impressive. And, and last, uh, or two Sundays ago, I, I was not here, but I was able to watch online. That's a blessing. And uh, Brother Jim Ecker, he shared about the aroma of Christ. And that word through is in that text. I, I wonder if we can bring it up. It's 2 Corinthians 2.14. 2 Corinthians 2.14. There it is. Look, look carefully now. I've got it in front of you so you can spy that word. T-H-R-O-U-G-H. Through through. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and amongst those who are perishing. God working in Christ through us. And brother Ecker said it very well, when, when someone looks at you, a, a Christian, a man or a woman, they may see you at first, but then they'll start to like, almost as it were, stumble through you and smell someone more significant, more weighty, more substantial, more holy, more beautiful. They will smell what is possible through your life that you can testify the life of Jesus Christ in you, looking smelling, as it were, through you. And then Pastor Jonathan last Sunday talked about the same word through. It was in his text as he talked about being an ambassador for Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. There's that verse. Let's again look at this word through, T-H-R-O-U-G-H. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ Please be reconciled to God. Please be set right with God. Please set aside your anger, your frustration, your whininess toward God. Please be at peace with him. Know what it is to rest in him. Please, that's what implore means, it's to beg. I beg you, be with God. Be near him. God making his appeal through us, God speaking on behalf of Christ. That's really interesting. For Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. On Christ's behalf. It's, it's remarkable what God does through us. And notice again, even in this verse, and Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan said it so very well. Yes, we are the instrument, the tool, but it's actually beneath or behind the tool is God Working through a man, working through a woman, working through something that's read or been written or recorded or sung or prayed, whatever. God working through, God's behind that. Now, I know there's a lot of questions about that. How can that be? Well, Isaiah warns us or even points to that in Isaiah 45 verse 15. It write, we write here this from the prophet who writes this. Truly you are a God who hides himself. Truly you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. I think one of the troubles of, of our time, and maybe every generation probably, is that we ascribe to people what God does. And when you start to look at the man or the woman or whatever impressive moment, and you, you drift from seeing God through that person, you're a half step removed, and before you know it, you're not even in the church anymore. You're not even in God's Household, as we've been talking this last few months. 
Because we're, we're looking at people, we're looking at self, we're looking at flesh instead of God through. Romans chapter 10, I think Pastor Jonathan's going to bring up this verse in another week or two perhaps, uh, or at least the reality that this talks through. And I, I wanted to whet your um, appetite to come back and to hear more on these things, on what God might do through you. Uh, this verse is verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How will anyone hear about Christ unless someone speaks up to them? How will they speak up unless they're taught what to say or sent and commissioned across culturally or in our own culture unless someone has beautiful feet, as it says in Isaiah. Read chapter 52, 53, 54. You'll see this, where, where God commissions ambassadors, aromas, as it were, of, of himself, of his son, that through you, God is reaching really to save them. Not make-believe. Really through you. Really through you. So if you take the initiative to speak up, you think, well, I took the initiative. Well, maybe you did, but who took the first initiative? God did. 33 AD, we think, 1,990 years ago, March 10th, 1989, for me, God reached in through my dad's presentation of Jesus who died for me that I could be saved. But it was not my dad's words that saved me. It was Christ through my dad's words that saved me. Do you understand? So when you drive by a billboard that says, come to me, it's not the billboard, the flappy thing in the wind that saves you. It is fixing your eyes on his invitation, God's rescue plan for you in the midst of agony. In the midst of burden, in the midst of overburdenedness and overbusiness, if I may say it, God saving sinners. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And I would argue that that's not the word about Christ, though that all of Romans is really about that. But it's rather that it's Christ's word, as it were, like a voicemail from Jesus. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you went home and you found, oh, I missed a phone. Uh, and you go and check it and it's Jesus from on high. Wouldn't that be marvelous? Isn't that what this is? That's what this is. Marvelous things happen through little pieces of carbon or whatever this is made of. I don't know what paper is made of. Carbon? Uh, probably hydrogen and oxygen are in there. I have no idea. Brian could tell us. There's some stuff there. Little molecules that are assembled and things printed and ink and this, that, other thing or a voicemail. Those things are useful through as God reaches through them to save you. To orient you to you, to say to, to him, to, to save you. And that's what an ambassador is. They're just a representative. I would argue that it's Christ who saves people. And that's what gets me jazzed up in the morning of speaking of him, whether it's around family worship or whether, you know, as we're gathering to, to feast on Christ together, just the Brumbaugh clan, or whether it's here before you right now. What excites me is not that I get a chance to speak and to have my say, but that Christ might have, might have his say through me. Do you understand? What an opportunity that if you might take the initiative as Pastor Jonathan and Jim and I are trying to urge you to, to be an ambassador, to speak up, to say, not that you can have your say in your sister's life or your neighbor's life. It's not about you speaking up, but it's about Jesus speaking up through you. And it might be that if you would take the initiative, that actually might accidentally be Christ representatively through you taking the initiative to save her, to save him. And on the front side, because he hides himself, God does, you think it's you. That's probably why it's so 
hard for us to, to have the courage to speak because we think it's on us. Never is the salvation of any sinner on you. It's always on the shoulders of Jesus. I was uh, in one of the, the opportunities I had to, to worship with other saints and other uh, fellowships. Last weekend, we were with a church, and uh, the preacher was on vacation himself, but he happened to be there because he brought, got brought back from vacation because his father, uh, who lives near him, and, and uh, not with him, but near him, uh, ended up getting, uh, having some heart issues. I don't even know if, if the man's alive right now, but, but he was in the, the ambulance sharing the gospel again because he himself had been a preacher. And the, the final words, it could be the final words that this dad shared with his, his son, his children, uh, the, the preacher then shared with us, I thought it was very interesting. He said, dear, dear ones, you know Christ. Just open your mouth and speak. Wouldn't that be wonderful, the final words of your dad? You know Christ. Just open your mouth and speak. Just open your mouth and speak. This is really a marvel, what we're talking about, how God would reach through a person representatively. Uh, there would be some instruments, some means, some flesh and blood thing, but it's actually spiritually God going through, speaking through, reaching through someone, not make-believe, but really, truly, personally. How does he do that? Uh, there's a, an interesting picture of that in one of uh, C.S. Lewis's books. Uh, I think it's called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And there's kind of a stinker at the story of the book. It used to be my least favorite of the, of the Chronicles of Narnia because Eustace is such a self-absorbed clod. <laughs> I just don't like Eustace at all. The more I read about Eustace, the more I think of myself. I guess that's why I don't like him. <laughs> He's such a self-absorbed guy. And he becomes, the, eventually in the story, he becomes the dragon that he really is. And at one point, though, at the very beginning of the story, there's a wonderful picture, and it, it's a metaphor, it's an image of what we're talking about, this word through. Eustace is in some, some bedroom, I think he's visiting someone, and there's a picture on the wall, framed picture, it's a picture of a, of a ship at high seas, and as he begins to look at the picture, he's looking at the picture, and as he's looking at the picture, it's suddenly, he finds him looking at the picture, looking through the picture, and before he knows it, he's in the picture, really, on the boat, sea spray, it's, it's, he's, his, his stomach starts churning like he's being tossed about, and he's about to, you know, lose his lunch, all those sort of things. It's like that, and when you are listening to a sermon, or when you yourself might be the one speaking, sometimes there's a, how do I say it, a twist in reality, and it goes from being mere words to God inhabiting the words and reaching into a human heart and saving that man or woman. For the first time, or maybe again, because God is about constantly saving us, renewing his work to sanctify us, to prepare us, to, to shake off the things that we should not be clinging to, like stripping Eustace of the dragon scales that were all over him eventually, that he would strip you again down so that you might possibly be useful to him. And what is in the child's, a child does not care about a brand new uh, paper towel holder because they're not use, usually allowed to use it and throw it about, right, like a football. They, it has to be empty. Then it's useful to them. In the similar way, the only one useful to Christ is an empty man or woman. Do you understand? Humble yourself, be an empty vessel, and then... What might God do through you? What happens with Peter in chapter 10 of Acts, which is our text today, our key verse is Acts 10.36, which uh, is, is this, if I can read it for you. It's on page 919. We've got some Bibles there uh, in one of the chairs around you, beneath them, that you'll find a Bible. I think it's on page 919. 
And uh, don't be shy if you've never, if you don't know, there's a lot of books in the Bible, a lot of chapters, a lot of sections. We all were not born with inherent knowledge of where to find the book of Acts or chapter 10 even in it. We even had to learn to count at one point. Someone had to teach us that. Here in Acts chapter 10, we're being taught about the work of God through his son to save us. In Acts chapter 10, verse 36, this is our key sentence for today. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. I love that parenthesis there. He is Lord of all. Like Peter can't, get, can't not pass over that. So the sentence is this, verse 36. As for the word that he, that is God, sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That, that is what I want to, to ponder with you. If I may, I'd like to pray before we read about the, the surrounding story and figure out some of these through realities. Even in uh, saying that, Lord, uh, we address you through Christ Jesus. Because he invited us to on the basis of his finished work, on the basis of his exaltation at the right hand of the Father. From that powerful situation and status and seat, Hear our prayer. Open the eyes of some here. Open the ears of all here. And give to us a heart for understanding. Uh, Give to us faith that we may lay hold, or rather, as we look about it later on in life, see that you were laying hold of us. Would you please lay hold of us? Would you please take us up? Would you please be near us in our agony of sins committed, of regrets we can't shake, of the difficulty of living in a world so broken by sin and corruption and death? And grant that we might know you and that you being present would be sufficient for us to face the next difficult trial, the next thing. Oh, that you might work through us. And through this, in Christ's name, amen. In order to better understand how it is that God would work through someone, I want to look at this remarkable account of how God saved a man named Cornelius, a centurion. So he was a man's man, big muscles, uh, likely. Uh, I don't know him personally, but if you get to the level of centurion, uh, you are a threat to be dealt with. And that's partly what happens when boys pick up sticks. Or when boys pick up towel holders, they want to be a threat to be reckoned with, right? a pirate, right, or something big. There's deep in our hearts something something to be matter. Uh, whether you're a boy or a girl, you want to matter, right, to, to mean something, for this to mean something, both the suffering you get, exist through and also the person that you are. And Cornelius wants to matter, and he's been crying out to God, trying to matter, trying to understand, trying to figure out the mysteries of God and to figure out his place in it. And this is the story of how God would reveal himself through a man, Peter, in order to rescue this man, Cornelius. I think it's meant to be uh, a story to help us understand, an account to help us understand how God saves Anyone and everyone. 
anyone is saved. Actually, it is God who saves. And the story of Cornelius reveals that. So I'm going to begin in verse 23 or 4, right around there. And what's been happening is Simon Peter is the, one of the apostles. He's seen the resurrected Christ. He's been commissioned to testify to him. And he's gone out and done that in much of uh, Jerusalem and the surrounding area. A lot of his own people have heard about Christ through him. 3,000 came for baptism at that first sermon that he delivered. What a, what a great way to begin a ministry after the resurrection of Christ. And we call that Pentecost, the work of God to save a great many people. And, and now some time has passed. And, and, and uh, it seems that some of the people are reluctant to, uh, to reach out to those who are outside of Israel. They're called Gentiles. And there's a man named Cornelius who's, who's an example of a Gentile, and God's getting their attention. And so Peter's praying, and that's a good thing to do. He's praying, and uh, he, God gives him a vision of a sheet, and in the sheet are all these clean, unclean animals, and, and, and God basically gives him this memo of, uh, don't claw, call or consider anything unclean that I have cleansed, that I make clean, that I've created. And uh, he's really wrestling with this, Peter is, when uh, some people, messengers from Cornelius come, and, and we catch up the story here, verse 23. So he, that's Peter, invited them in to be his guests. The next day, he, again Peter, rose and went, and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, Why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation um, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he's Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. 
They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing him speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. I would uh, propose to you that the story of Cornelius, though it is remarkable in redemptive history because it's a key movement of the gospel to the Gentiles, in a way not for the first time because the Ethiopian just prior to this was, was saved as God worked through Philip a deacon, but, but this one is key because an apostle is going to officially certify as the church gathers afterwards that the good news is also for Gentiles, for which you and I, who most of us are Gentiles, right, are very grateful, right? I want to suggest that the way in which God rescues and delivers Cornelius and saves him remains the same today. Now, there are circumstances, for sure, that are unique at a first time for Cornelius that don't happen every time someone comes to Jesus, but the way in which God saves remains his main method, his, the same method, the same way. How is that? That it is God reaching through a person to save another person. How does he do that? First, I want you to see the activity of God, the the God himself, and then also the activity of a man named Peter, the apostle. But first, look at the activity of God in saving this man, Cornelius. There are seven things that are very clear. And this, 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 I think I went to this text in part because, you know, because God is, uh, as I said, he hides himself. Often we, we, we as theologians or pastors or preachers or Christians, we argue and bicker about these different things and try to figure out how it all works out. But at the end of the day, anyone who's really saved, it's God who did it. It's God who did it. Uh, Irrelevant of our our trying to fit it together or piece it together or theologic together. When God moves, God moved. That's just how it is. And and I would suggest to you, this is when, uh, this is clearly meant to show that God is going to move to save Cornelius. He's just going to do it. And, it, and it's amazing. And, and we're meant to read through this, I think, this, this, uh, uh, this, this conversion, this, this salvation, our own story in hindsight, because we might be looking at the accidents of it, uh, but, you know, the, the circumstances or the means or the person or the song or the prayer or whatever, or the grandma who prayed for us, all those sort of things. But beneath all that or behind all that is the God who worked through them. Look at how God worked through Many people to save Cornelius. It's God who did that. First, there's the vision that God gives to Peter. God sends to to Peter this incredible vision of a sheet. I didn't read that because it's a longer chapter, but there's a sheet lowered. It has unclean animals, and, and it's all these things. And it's meant to fix 
Peter's attention on something. So God gives him a vision. It's God who gave the vision to Peter. He's starting to ponder that. Then in verse 19, again, we didn't read this either, but while Peter is pondering the vision, the second way in which God's acting, it says this, while he's pondering the vision, the Spirit said to Peter, God says to Peter, bam, God says, behold, Three men, not one, not two, not 15, three men, gives you a specific number, Peter, so he recognized this partly, are looking for you. Rise up, go down, and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. God sent these men, right? And he gave a message to Peter. I guess that's really eight things. There's all over you. The more I look at it, the more ways you see which God is actually the one acting to save Cornelius. So he has his vision. He's pondering it. He gets a message from the Spirit of God to go down and go with them. And then there's the third thing I would notice, that Cornelius, he's clearly expecting a divine visit. Because when Peter arrives, what does Cornelius do? He throws himself down on his face and worships Peter as if he were God. He is certain that God himself is going to do something amazing here. He knows God is coming. God is acting. And so he supposes then, logically, I don't think this is a pagan thing. He's not grabbing a hold of Peter thinking he's like Hercules or something like this, a son of a god. He, he legitimately thinks God's doing something. He's going to meet me myself, himself, somehow. And so he worships Peter. And Peter picks him up and says, hold on here. I'm just a man. But the reason, I think in part, he expected such a personal, direct visit from God is just a few days before, he says in verse 30, I was praying and a man stood before me in bright clothing. Anyone who's read much of the Bible will know what this man is, right? What is he? He's an angel. An angel appeared to me. Who's an angel? A messenger of God, right? A messenger of God. So God's doing something here. He sent uh, this man uh, a message. Fifth thing I'll say, narratively, as the scriptures are framing this whole account, we are meant to see God active even in, maybe especially in, or kind of a climactically in or complete, completingly in uh, Simon Peter's visit here to Cornelius. I love his little miniature sermon. Uh, and it is a pretty uh, short message. But, but look, notice what happens here. Verse 33. Now therefore we are all here, says Cornelius, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. We're here in God's presence to hear what God would say, because you've been commanded, given a message for us to hear from the Lord, right? Everything about this is about God. Do you get this? It's all about God, how he's going to rescue this man in his sins, from his sins. Then there's the content of the sermon. It took me, I, I, I measured it this week, 72 seconds to read the sermon out loud in a cadence that I would preach it. That's a very short sermon. <laughs> 70, by now you're like, I wish this was 71 seconds. I understand. 72 seconds. Like, I love that it's only 72 seconds. Absolutely wonderful. But the key bits are all there. If you're new to this thing and church is something new to you, you're wondering what's the, what's the key bit? Read this paragraph about five times this week and you'll have all the key bits. The key bits are this. That Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, was sent 
He came into this world to rescue us from sin. He was baptized, right, as John, the, 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 the one who had gone before the prophet, had, had said. And he was anointed of the Holy Spirit, as Peter says. And he came with him God's power, his sort of seal and certification that this is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And he wasn't a phenomenal man. We don't know of any sins. We only know of good things. And yet the religious powers that be, you would say, couldn't stand him, couldn't handle him. They had to kill him and, and, and put him on a cross. And he died on that cross. He literally died, but he did not stay dead. But on the third day, he rose from the grave, finally defeating death, eliminating, paying for our sins. And he is appointed, it says here, to be the judge of the living and the dead. It, he is the one to whom the whole Bible, the prophets of old, the apostles, and Revelation later at the end of the Bible, everything points to Christ, And as he says that, in effect, everything points to Christ, his sermon gets interrupted because God himself steps in and the Holy Spirit falls upon those. That's the seventh thing to notice. The Holy Spirit of God falls upon those who are listening to these words, to the word of Christ. And I love Peter's observation toward the end of our passage. God is clearly acting here. Who are we to stand in God's way? Can anyone withhold baptism from these folks, even though they're Gentiles? The conversion of Cornelius is significant. I want you to see, though, that as unique and wonderful as Cornelius' salvation is and was, the one thing was we must not view as, uh, as exceptional, uh, because we churches tend to bicker about lots of things that the Holy Spirit does here. Um, that's not the point. The one thing that we must see is not exceptional, is not unusual, is that when God saves one, someone, it is God who personally saves someone. Through, yes, through, yes, through our singing, through a song, through, through, the, through a written word, through something you read in a little drawer, uh, in a hotel room, a Gideon Bible, through some means, yes, but it is always God and God alone who saves, personally, perhaps representatively, but personally. And the more that you reflect on that, the more it will excite you to know that God is approachable through Christ, that you can know him and be with him. The activity of Simon Peter is the second vantage point from which, briefly, I want to point your attention to. Because how does God do this? He does it through Simon Peter. And this is really simple because Peter really only does two things. Two things. He shows up and he spoke up. He showed up and he spoke up. I mean, it's wonderful how simple God does do this. I think he helps orient us to keep the key thing the key thing. Notice what it says in verse 28 and 29. Uh, Peter just does something simple. He just shows up. And I like the way in which he shows up, because honestly, he acts a little like Eustace here. <laughs> He's like, I shouldn't even be here, just so you know. I'm disavowing myself of this whole process. Uh, you guys are unclean. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm a Jew. I mean, the, the levels of barriers this guy's putting up. You're talking about trying to reach some. If you went to your neighbor to share Christ and you begin with, unclean heathen pagan person. I cannot be even here, but I've been sent anywhere against my will to share about Jesus. They would have been like, to gone with you, right? You wouldn't, they wouldn't have even let another word out of your mouth. Like, if, you that, if you're that, you know, full of yourself and so bigoted, you know, let the door hit you on the way out, right? But Peter, he begins this way, but Cornelius is so hungry to know the living God, he is not put off by the prickliness of Peter. Isn't that wonderful? Wonderful. 
He's not put off by the prickliness of Peter. Sometimes the, the church can get in Jesus' way. I know that happens, but here's the thing. If God's going to save someone, he can still use the church and will use the church. Right? It's beautiful what God does here. Right? In our elders meeting on Friday night, this theme, one of the things we kept reflecting on was, uh, I think it was Henry Blackaby. In, in my reading, I, I found it in Experiencing God. He has this, this, this uh, view that it, where, find out where God is at work and join him there. Find out where God is at work and join him there. And that's what least what Peter does. He finds out where God's at work and he does join him there. He does go, even if he sort of is hard to embrace. Uh, he does that. And secondly, he just spoke up. I love verse 34, the very beginning few, uh, maybe first eight, eight, eight or something like that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So, so Peter opened his mouth and said, I mean, that's just wonderful. He showed up and he spoke up. So Peter opened, opened his mouth and said, Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell. I love that. The Holy Spirit fell. Significant thing. Now, someone's here with me like, I know what you're saying, Pastor. You're saying I'm supposed to show up and speak up. Yes. <laughs> you got the memo. If you know Christ, speak up. And know that when you speak up, it may not be just you who does it. You might merely be the mouthpiece, the ambassador, the aroma. It is God who speaks through you. I think that's one of the neat things. It's not just that someone would see Christ through me. That is, that they'd see, as it were, Christ in me. Like, oh, you look, you're a Christian, like a little Christ. You, I see something of Jesus in you. You're, that's kind of impressive. That's one thing. But it's quite another when you begin to see, I stopped looking at you and began to see through you to Christ. And in fact... That was marvelous. I did that, but now I begin to see in hindsight that it was God through you meeting me. God reaching to me. Really. Not make believe. Truly. Truly. May his beauty rest upon me as I seek the lost to win. And may they forget the channel. Seeing only him. Our Father in heaven, you have given us one name to cry out to, Jesus. Putting aside all, uh, all the barriers that individuals have in their minds and hearts, all of the people who said they were Christians and were as rude as anything, like Peter, and maybe even worse. All the disappointments, all the failures, all the sins that Christians do and the church has done, all and all and all, we just set it aside at the end of the day. The more that we look at Jesus, the more beautiful you are. We see a one without flaw. The more we read of you, the more we know of you, the more we, that you open our eyes to see your, your beloved son, Father, the more captivated we are by him. Oh, that you might open our eyes to see and giving us ears to hear and eyes to see and behold and a heart to understand that we might put our trust, our faith in you and that we might do every moment of every day in your presence listening to you, being used by you. I pray a special blessing upon those for whom this is a brand new idea. That they might no longer see religion, steeples, chairs, books, people. But that they would just see Jesus. 
lay hold for dear life.